Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Let's go, Camp X, Youth X. It's going to be an amazing summer for the next generation at our church. We are so fired up about it, so grateful for our kids' teams and youth teams and everybody who is leading the way for that. So, parents, Online, anybody watching, today is the day to sign up. There is the best deal that we've got over the next 24 hours, so make sure you jump on that. It's going to be incredible. Find all the details for how to sign up on our website, hills.church. So please jump on board with that, and uh, it's going to be an awesome summer. Also, one more thing, after church today, we have our Welcome to Church lunch. And if you're new around here or just started coming or maybe you've been coming for the last couple months and you want to learn a little more about who we are, what we're about, how to get involved, we got a free lunch for you in the cafe directly after the service today. So feel free to jump in. Even if you didn't sign up, you can just show up. We got extra food, assuming a few of you all probably want a free lunch. Amen, somebody. Let's go. It is Sunday after all. Um, But hey, I'm also very just cognizant and aware of the fact that Man, this week has kind of been a crazy week for our world in many ways, and maybe for some of you, uh, the conflict that's happening right now in Ukraine, maybe it touched a little closer to home for you. I know it did for several members of our team, and so we're going to take a moment actually to, uh, to hear from our keys player, Tony. Um, as he shares some of his story, and I want to invite Rich and George and Tony to come on out. Um, Rich leads all of our production, everything that you see happening up here on stage. We'll give it up. George, um, George is on drums, leading out strong. And then uh, Tony, the man, is on uh, keys most weeks. So you get to see these guys um, a lot. And you guys can step up just a little bit more here. But, uh, you know... I was texting Tony this week, probably about four months ago, had the honor of meeting Tony's uncle, Dimitri, who really leads and runs a a church planning network in Ukraine. So he is, you know, um, just on the ground, being the the hands and feet of Jesus over there, an incredible man. And we were exploring ways to, to partner with him and his ministry before any of this stuff happened. And he's actually there now. But even more close to home for Tony, and this is the reason we want to invite all of you to pray with us this morning, is uh, Tony's 13-year-old son is there right now, which is a huge deal for Tony, for his family, um, and just all your friends, the people you grew up with. And so, Tony, would you take just a minute to kind of share what you've heard so far and and how we can be praying with you? Yeah, hi, guys. Uh, I'm glad to be here in this church to be a part of all this. And uh, uh, four days ago, Russia started the war against uh, Ukraine. Uh, probably you guys already know this. And um, I just wanted you pray for, for the Ukraine, for the peace in Ukraine, because there is a huge things right now, uh, big, big battle over there in uh, all of cities, in all Ukraine. So all of those guys, uh, they need help from you with uh, prayers, with uh, posting some stuff like, hey guys, you will made it, you know. And uh, my, my, uh, my son over there in Melitopol is clo- close to Krim. And uh, my wife's family, my wife is right there right now. Uh, my wife's family is there as well. So 
I grew up over there. I was born over there, and I love, uh, I know, thousand peoples over there. We, we, we surf together, we pray together, we, 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 we've been in, in the church. And uh, there is a, like, breaking my heart when, when I'm uh, thinking about this, it's happening right now. So thanks God for, for the clean heaven in the United States. Uh, thanks God that uh, all of you guys seem safe. And um, just uh, right now is my praying to get a peace to all hearts in Ukraine, guys, and uh, just yeah. just pray for that. Yeah, absolutely. We want to be praying for you, Tony. Uh, both George and Rich also have family who are uh, over there, whether aunts or uncles or extended family. And so, friends, if you guys wouldn't mind just extending a, a hand towards Tony, uh, George, and Rich, we're going to cover them in prayer and just lift up. Uh, the situation that's happening in Ukraine. And so, Father, we come to you right now. And first and foremost, we just ask for protection on Tony's family, on George and Rich's family, who are just on the front lines right now. Lord, we ask for protection for all those Christians um, with Dimitri who are opening up churches as bomb shelters and providing food and water and shelter for those in need. Lord, I pray that you would protect them, that you would give them peace in the midst of these unbelievably stressful and, and dire situations. And Father, we ask that you would bring peace to this situation. Father, I pray that the Ukrainian Christians would shine as a light right now, that they would be the hands and feet of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for those like Dimitri who are choosing to stay even though they could leave, and they're choosing to to help in any way that they can. Father, we're asking you to intervene. And we're praying these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. We love you guys so much with you all. Thank you for sharing. We um, will obviously keep you guys updated. We're trying to get through to Dimitri. All communications are cut off at this point, and so Tony is keeping us updated, but our heart and prayer is to be able to support and partner with them, um, especially with Dimitri, as he's a connection that we've had before all of this began to happen, and obviously Tony and the others have served here on the team, Tony, for over four years now, so just an integral part of our church family. So continue to keep them in, in your prayers, and we'll let you know if there are other ways that we can jump in and support as a church family. Okay, before we jump into the word today, let's just pray again and, and ask the Lord to center our hearts on his word, and then we'll dive into God's word together. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come in this place. Father, I ask now that you would um, help me to teach your word clearly. Father, I pray that you would help us to receive what you would say to us today in your word. Lord, that we would truly begin to, to walk out and live out our faith and not just not just give it lip service, but, Lord, that our lives would model what you would have us do. Jesus, we love you. We ask all these things in your name, and everyone said, amen. Well, friends, today we are, are diving into a new series that I entitled The Good Life, and it's all about living the Sermon on the Mount. 
And we're going to be jumping into the most famous sermon ever preached, the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. And, you know, if you had like an essentials playlist for Jesus, this would be it. This is the core teachings, like his greatest hits, all compiled into Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so powerful words, amazing words, life-changing teachings that we are diving into today. But here, here's the crazy thing, and I, I want to read the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount to you, and, I, and maybe it's been a while since you've read it. You've probably heard of the Beatitudes before, but I'm going to read the beginning. I'm going to give just a brief overview of the whole thing, and then we're just going to kind of unpack it from kind of a 10,000-foot level. We're not going to go verse by verse through all you know, three chapters, otherwise we'd be here till six o'clock tonight. Um, but we are going to get, um, just kind of get our minds and our hearts around the entire message of what Jesus is putting forth here. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up, a phone, turn to, uh, to Matthew chapter five, starting in verse one. And I just want us to hear these words that Jesus spoke. Starting in verse one, it says this, seeing the crowds, he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. It's important here. He is addressing his disciples. He is addressing those who are following him. He is not just addressing the crowds, but specifically saying, hey, for those who want to live the kingdom life that I'm setting forth, this is for you. This is how you do it. He goes in. He opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall be called sons of God. I'm sorry, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now at first glance... If you're honest, if you really take those words at first value, and you think about this whole idea of the good life, the good life, the blessed life, hashtag blessed, right? Just search that on Instagram. I promise you, you're not going to see a whole lot regarding uh, poor in spirit or um, those who mourn, like I'm mourning today, hashtag blessed. Probably not going to see that one quite as much. Blessed are the humble or the meek, right? We love to celebrate confidence. Those who are going for it, those who are, are tackling the challenges in life and not necessarily choosing humility as a way of life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He goes on, blessed are the merciful, the peacemakers. Any, the crescendo of the whole thing is blessed are you if people persecute you and treat you really, really, really bad for my sake. Hashtag blessed. Friends, the good life, right? I say that tongue in cheek. We can laugh. It's okay, right? It is church, but it's amazing to me. 
Because when you look at what Jesus is saying here, when you look at the, the core and essential teachings of Jesus, the central message of Jesus, it is completely counterintuitive to what the world calls blessed, to what the world calls the good life. It's completely opposite of that, right? He dives into this and says, look, the only way, if we're being honest, that living this way actually makes sense actually makes any sense at all, is if there really is another kingdom going on here, a kingdom that I'm the king of, the kingdom of heaven, and the culture of that kingdom is going to look a lot different than the culture that you live in right now, the culture of the world. It's a counter-cultural kingdom for the common good. It's a countercultural kingdom for the common good. That is what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to be. And friends, that's who we are supposed to be as followers of Jesus. And I want you to think about this. This is amazing. I'm going to give us a brief overview of the topics that Jesus hits on. So number one, he gives us the Beatitudes. You're blessed if you live this way, right? If you are poor in spirit, if you mourn, if you're meek, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you're merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted. And we can unpack all of those. There's a lot behind each of those. But he begins with the Beatitudes, and then he goes, that's basically, basically what it means to be salt and light in the world. To be those who, who make things better, who preserve things, and be the guiding light of truth towards eternity. It's what it looks like to be salt and light in the world, to live that way. Then he goes into this unbelievable section of Scripture in verse 17 through 20. And, and I want to read this for us. I'm actually going to put it up on the screen here. I'm going to read verse 17, then skip down to verse 20 to capture what Jesus says. But he says, do not think. So he's, he's summarizing the Beatitudes in the beginning part. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Thank you, Jesus. That is so encouraging. Really grateful that you just settled my heart in that way, right? Uh, unless my righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, I mean, this is a dramatic statement from Jesus, He's like, those guys are the top of the top. They're the top shelf. They're the ones who define the law, who live the law, who make sure everybody else lives the law. And he's saying, those guys don't have a clue. you got to be way more righteous than them. But what he says before that is, is earth-shattering. He says right before that, I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. I'm here to do what you can't do, what the scribes and Pharisees couldn't do. And yes, I'm going to lay out, Jesus is saying, I'm going to lay out the culture of my kingdom, what it looks, to, what it looks like to follow me on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm going to lay this out for you. But I'm going to let you know that I've already fulfilled all the requirement of the law, and the starting point is grace. You're going to step into this lifestyle empowered, and you're going to fail you're not going to do it just right. You're going to have moments where you get angry and you act prideful and you're not very much of a peacemaker. In fact, you're on the other side. You're stirring up the arguments over there at the dinner table or whatever. You're going to be a mess. But you're going to grow in this. And it begins with the fact that I fulfilled it all for you. I did it 
for you. He goes on. He talks about anger, and this is, this is wild. He goes, your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And he goes, here's what I mean. He, he begins to define that for us. He goes, let me start with murder. You've heard that it was said. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. It was written by Moses, thou shalt not murder. But he says, I tell you. You've heard it was said, I tell you. If anybody has anger towards his brother or sister in his heart, you've already committed murder. He goes, look, the standard of the law is way higher than you thought it was. See, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they just figured, look, as long as I don't kill anybody, I'm good. Like physically kill them, I'm okay. And Jesus goes, no, actually I'm looking at the intention of your heart. I'm looking at your heart like what's fueling the actions of your life. It's not just about external actions, it's about your heart. That takes things to a whole new level. He gets into adultery. He says, look, adultery is not just about the physical act. It's about if you even look on someone who's not your spouse with lust for them in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You know, go ahead and just check off that box, everybody in the room, right? It's church, we're allowed to be authentic and real in here. All of us are level at the foot of the cross, right? He goes on about oaths. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Have you ever not perfectly followed through on your word? Check that box. Retaliation, revenge, loving your enemies. These are really hard things. In fact, they're impossible on our own strength. He goes, you've heard it was said, but I tell you. And he takes it up a level. He takes it up a level. He takes it up. And you're like, Jesus, I don't even, this is not good news. I don't like this sermon. I can't do this at all, right? This is beyond me. This is something that I can't do. And then it gets worse, okay? Aren't you all glad you came to church? I mean, come on. Sermon on the Mount, it gets worse. He goes, look, when you give, in other words, he's assuming that you give, not just to the poor but to the cause of the church. So he's like, you should give, and when you do, don't tell anyone about it. Don't be like the scribes and Pharisees who announce that they gave generously and get their reward from the praise of others. He goes on, when you pray, when you pray, pray like this. Don't do it on the street corner. Close your door, shut, shut your door, go into your closet and pray to your Father in heaven. When you fast, don't look gloomy. Don't be like, oh, I'm so hungry. Fasting's hard. I'm so spiritual though, fasting. He's like, look, practice these things in secret so that your Father who is in heaven, it's about the intentions of your heart. He goes on to say, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. And he really dives into the issue of money in our hearts. And uh, friends, you all remember the first time you made a budget? Anybody remember that moment? This is an example of a mint.com. Anybody use mint.com? I'm a big fan. Okay, I'm alone up here today. That's great. So we... Uh, you know, if you use mint.com, this, this is not my budget. Uh, this is just one off Google Images. Apparently, this person does not have a mortgage. Praise God for them. That's nice. Um, but, you know, I remember the first time my wife and I, we did the Dave Ramsey course when we first got married. And, you know, one of the things he tells you to do for the first month or two is track every dollar, track your spending. And it is so eye-opening the first time you do that. Anybody else with me on this? You're like, whoa, Starbucks, like really? Fast food, shopping, like 
There's, there is no way I spent that much money on that, right? It's just the little things that add up. And then you're like, man, this is super lopsided. I got to get this thing under control. And what Jesus is actually saying is he's like, hey, I want to get down into like the nitty gritty of your life, like the line items of your bank account. And I want to say, where your money goes, that's where your heart is. And I'm just not going to pull any punches on that one. He's like, it's just true. What you spend your money on, that's what you love. That's what you prioritize. You can't serve two masters, God, and money. And you're like, Jesus, the hits just keep coming. Like, I don't like your playlist. I don't like your greatest hits. These feel like punches to the gut, right? He's like, no, trust me, this is the good life. This is the good life. He keeps going on. He's like, hey, don't be anxious. Easy. Got it. Not going to be anxious. Don't judge others. Also, super easy. Uh, the golden rule, treat others as you would want to be treated. And then he, he really brings it all home by saying, look, you'll know if you're really a follower of me by the fruit that you produce in your life. Like, people will be able to tell if you're an apple tree or a pear tree based on whether you produce apples or pears. You may call yourself an apple tree your whole life, but the first day of harvest when the pears show up, they're like, nah, I can tell by the fruit you're a pear tree. And you're like, Jesus, so like, you're really being serious. Like, my life is going to show where my heart is, my bank account, my money, my actions, how I treat my enemies. It's, this is getting down into it. And then he says, the wise person will take these words and do them. It's like building your house on a rock versus a, the sand. And when the storm comes, the person that lives this way will withstand the storms of life. They'll make it through. And, and if we're being honest, and I, I know I'm, I'm coming at this pretty hard, but I want you to feel the weight of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I want you to feel the fact that really, truly, you can't live this way on your own. You cannot do it. It goes against the grain of everything inside of you as a broken, fallen human. But I do believe this, and I believe this deeply. Following the way of Jesus, that is choosing to live according to the Sermon on the Mount, is the most consistent way for you to live because you were created in the image of God. Think about that. The only way you're going to listen to this sermon and these extreme, intense claims from Jesus and actually believe that that leads to the good life is if he actually is God and you were created in his image. This is not just like good moral teaching. You know, everyone loves to hang on to the golden rule, treat others as you want to be treated, but there's a lot of other stuff in here that people are like, I'll take that one and not that one. We don't get to do that with the Bible. We have to take it on its own terms. We have to take it as, as it's given to us. And Jesus taught all of this in one sitting. In one sitting. And, and I look at this and I say, if we're being real, if we're being honest, this doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound easy. In fact, it's, it's so countercultural. It's the opposite of the world. And it's like, how how do I trust that this is the way to the good life? How do I trust that what Jesus is laying out here is actually what's best for me in the long haul? Well, here's, I think, a clue to that. Here's how we know we can trust Jesus. Because right after he finishes the Sermon on the Mount, 
Matthew tells us, he goes straight into chapter 8, and he walks to the next town, and he heals a guy who is dying of leprosy. That, that doesn't happen very often. He walks right up to a leprous man, and he touches him. You're not supposed to do that. You might get the disease. And Jesus goes, I'm actually more contagious than him. I'm actually way more powerful than his disease, and when I touch him, I'm not going to get sick. He's going to get healed. Check this out, okay? He goes on. He heals a leper. Then a centurion, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, a non-Jewish man comes to him and says, I have a servant who's paralyzed back at my house. And he goes, but Jesus, I know I know how this works. Like, I send servants to do things for me, and then they go do it. So if you just asked, you don't even have to be there. I know that person will be made well. And Jesus goes, this is amazing faith. Your servant is healed, and he was healed that day. It goes on. In the next line, it says, Jesus healed many of their sicknesses. He cast out demons. He opened blind eyes. It's just this list of healings. Then it goes on. He sends a, he's getting so crowded by all the people, he sends the disciples out in the boat. The big storm comes, walks to him on the water, and calms the storm. Healing everybody, showing total sovereign power over the wind and the waves. It moves on. It's not over yet. He heals a paralytic again. He casts out demons from two demoniacs. He then raises a girl from the dead. This is one of the the little lesser-known resurrection stories in the New Testament. Raises a girl from the dead, heals two blind men, and then heals a man who is mute. And so you go through something like the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and you're like, okay, this is intense. Why should I listen to this guy? I don't know who can live like this. This is very countercultural and beyond me. And then you read the next two chapters, and you're like, boom, 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 boom. Oh, because he's God. You don't listen to somebody that says things like that unless they live with the authority that Jesus lived with, unless they displayed absolute authority over the wind and the waves and the earth and brought healing everywhere he went to prove I am God. And this may not make any sense to you in your mind, but this is the way of life. This is the way of life. And it may not feel great. In fact, it may feel like dying. Amen, somebody. Pick up your cross and follow me, says Jesus. He goes, but it is ultimately the way. Living the good life is not about the immediate satisfaction of your desires, but about honoring God and making choices that will lead to your long-term contentment and eternal joy. That is is what living the good life is all about. It's about saying no to the whims and desires that you know are opposite of what Jesus is calling you to. Dying to yourself, learning to love enemies, learning to lay down your life, learning to live in humility and love for others, which leads to ultimate healing in your relationships and your families, which actually leads to flourishing in your workplace in all the different areas that God puts you. There is a blessing associated with these things, a real and true blessing. Following Jesus will actually bring blessing in your life, but it's also going to bring a reality of you having to die to yourself. 
Living generously does bring blessing to your finances. Um, learning to lay down your life for your family and for those that you are closest to will, will bring blessings in your family and your relationships. The truth is, Jesus knows what's good for us. He knows what the good life is because he's God. And he created us in his image. But we look at this and we realize, okay, Jesus, instead of lowering the bar and saying, no, y'all can do it. Y'all got this. I believe in you. Just really, you know, pull up your bootstraps and try harder. You've got it. I believe in you. He doesn't say that. He goes, actually, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, which all of them knew that's impossible, that alone, he goes, my standard is so much beyond that, you don't got it. That's why I'm here. I came to fulfill it for you. He goes, look, the Sermon on the Mount is not good news in and of itself. It's actually like, man, this is going to be hard. The cost of discipleship is going to feel like picking up a cross and following Jesus. That's what he says it is, right? He goes, but here's the good news. The starting line is grace. I did it for you. I fulfilled the law perfectly on your behalf. I died the death that you deserved on the cross. I was the lamb who took away the sins of the world. I was the last sacrifice. And I conquered death and sin by rising from the grave. We'll talk about that on Easter. Come back, bring a friend, somebody. But here's the deal. We look at these two realities and law. What the Old Testament law says is it had a very high view of you. You can do it. Here's all the rules. Make sure you follow them, right? And a low view of God. Law says, what the scribes and Pharisees say is, and it's amazing, if you, if you look at, if you study the Talmud, this is the religious text of the Hebrew people, of the Jewish people. The Torah, the actual text of the Old Testament, is in the middle of the page. And everything around the Torah is the rabbis and the Pharisees' interpretation of the text. So here's the law, and they're like, okay, here's how you follow it. And they lay out every single detail. So honor your father and mother. Okay, that means on Monday morning, when you wake up, start by making your parents breakfast. Then go from there to asking your parents how may you serve them. Da-da-da, like, I'm just making things up. The bottom line is this. They take every little piece of the law, and they, they, they build another layer of rules around it to say, here's what it means to follow that, to live that way. The law says, look, we can attain this. We can do this. As long as we build a big enough fence around the law, we won't actually cross that line and we'll, we'll be good with God. But grace says this. It has a high view of God saying what's lost cannot be regained. It's too far gone. But we also have a high view of his love for us. That God so loved the world he sent his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him would not be condemned but would be saved, right? That's the point of grace. And grace is the starting line for you to live according to the Sermon on the Mount. It's the starting line for you to live according to the way of Jesus. Jesus is flipping the script. A couple years ago, actually almost two years to the day, um, we took a team to Israel, and I was able to record a few videos over there. 
And one of the spots that we got to record some videos was actually on the Mount of Beatitudes, on the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And I wanted to share this with you guys. As I was looking back through some of these videos, I thought, man, this really captures it. It really captures the story of what the Sermon on the Mount is about and what Jesus is saying here. So for the next few minutes, just check this out. Let's turn our attention to the screens. Pastor Jonathan here. Today, I am so excited to be coming to you from the Mount of Beatitudes. You can see behind me is actually the Church of Beatitudes, which is owned by the Catholic Church. And just beyond the church behind me is the Sea of Galilee. And this is an incredibly important location for the entire history of the New Testament because this is where Jesus preached the most famous sermon of his entire ministry. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, Jesus lays out what I like to call the culture of the kingdom. And it's not a standard of rules that we have to adhere to as Christians in order to earn our way into favor with God or to earn our way into heaven. But what it is at the end of the day is it's a culture that we are called to live out as Christians in our day-to-day lives. And so Jesus says, beginning in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 5, I'll read this for you. He says, he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on for several more chapters laying out what does it mean to actually live the Christian life. And I think sometimes we can look at all of these things that Jesus is calling us to, whether it's purity or humility or hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and we can think, wow, this is a a high standard that he's calling us to as Christians, but really what he says a little, a few verses down is this in Matthew 5, 17. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And what Jesus is doing here is different than every other rabbi. You see, rabbis would come and they would teach from the law. They would explain the law. They would even build fences around the law to make sure that nobody broke the rules that were written down in the Old Testament uh, books of Moses from Exodus to Leviticus to Deuteronomy. But what Jesus is not saying is he's not doing that. He's not saying, be careful, don't break the law. What he's actually doing them is calling them to a higher standard. For example, he says in Matthew 5, 21, you've heard that it was said to those of old, it was written in the law of Moses, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And what Jesus is actually saying here is he is raising the standard. He said, it's not just about your external actions. Don't kill another person or don't murder someone out. It's about the intentions and the actions of your heart. What Jesus is doing here is he's saying, look, the law, what I'm giving you here in the Sermon on the Mount is not a ladder that you climb into heaven. It's not a list of rules that you follow in order to be right with God. What Jesus is inviting us to is a change of heart, an internal change of intention and heart that can only come through his fulfillment of the law. He's actually calling us to a higher standard of righteousness that can only be fulfilled by what he did for us on the cross 
and the amazing, beautiful thing about the gospel and, and what we learn even from the book of Galatians is that the law was meant to lead us to Christ. The law was meant to show us our need for a savior. And the crazy thing is so many people have looked at the law and said, this is what I must do to save myself. And what Jesus is saying is, there's no way you can save yourself. If you've ever even been angry at another person, you've already broken the law. So I've not come to call you just to a higher standard in order to earn your way into heaven. I've come to fulfill the law for you. And the beautiful thing about the Sermon on the Mount, about this place that we get to remember is that Jesus fulfilled every requirement of the law on our behalf. And living this way, living with humility, with generosity, with meekness, with poverty of spirit, with a need for God, it's not an external thing that we have to conform to. What it is is an internal reality that comes out of our life once we have experienced the grace of God. And so what Jesus is doing here at the Sermon on the Mount when he is teaching his followers to embody the culture of the kingdom is he's saying, look, this isn't burdensome. I'm not giving you a new list of rules. I'm not doing what Moses did when he said, you must obey all of these things if you want to be right with God. What Jesus is doing is he's saying, I've already made you right with God by faith in me. I've already made you right with God by faith in me. And now I want you to, to live this way from the heart, from the inward attitude of gratitude and faith in me. And grace is going to empower you to live the culture of the kingdom from this day forward. Friends, that's the good news. That's the good news at the end of the day. Is that Jesus has fulfilled what we cannot do. Paul said it like this. In Ephesians 2, he said, even when we were dead, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Christ made us alive together with him. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, check it out, it's plural. That's eternity, ages, right? In the coming ages, he might demonstrate or show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. And so, friends, when that gift lands on you by faith, when you receive the gift of God's righteousness, when you receive the fact that Jesus fulfilled the law for you and you understand what was given to you, suddenly not only are you empowered to lay down your life, you want to. Not only do you, do you have this, this new standard of what it means to follow Jesus, you're now covered by grace, and yes, you're going to fail. Yes, you're going to deal with selfishness and pride and anger and all these things for the rest of your lives, but you also know that, man, grace empowers me to get up again today and take another step. It empowers me to get up again today and keep going, to love others, to keep serving, to share my faith, to live this thing out with joy, knowing, man, I'm free I'm covered, I'm free, I am set free, I'm made new, and I'm in process, and that's okay. And friends, the Sermon on the Mount, it is, it's a guide for us. I was thinking about this, you know, humans over the years, humans have done some amazing things. We've accomplished some incredible feats. We have climbed the highest mountains in the world without oxygen, all of them, I think, without oxygen, 
uh, humans keep setting the standard of athletics and sports every year in the Olympics and in different competitions. You know, humans run crazy endurance marathons. I looked up on Google, what is the hardest race in the world? And I found this. It's called the Marathon des Sables. Des Sables I don't know how to say it. Uh, essentially, you run 150 miles across the Sahara Desert. Sign me up. Let's go, right? Insane. And people do it, and they finish it every year. People are incredible. They've done some amazing stuff. But no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we work or how determined or creative or wealthy we are, for some reason, nobody has figured out how to overcome human suffering, human brokenness, sickness, famine, wars, disease. We've shattered records. We've accomplished incredible things. But for some reason, we don't have the cure to death, and we don't have the cure to our own broken hearts. It's amazing. In Israel, when you go, if you ever go, I pray you get the chance to go. There is this church. It's called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And it's one of the traditional locations of where Jesus would have been crucified, where he would have been hung on the cross. And it's packed. There are lines of people waiting to get in. And you have to wait sometimes for hours to get in. And people will come from all over the world, and in this one area, there's this huge stone on the floor, and they believe that stone is where Jesus's cross was laid, where it was set and, and stood upright. And people from all over the world, they come and they light a candle, and they want to touch the stone or kiss the stone, the rock, where Jesus's cross stood. And then in another part of the church, there's the tomb, the traditional type site for the tomb where Jesus would have been buried. And people crawl down into this tomb under this altar, and they want to touch the wall or kiss the wall or put a prayer or light a candle there. And it's amazing to me because I look at these moments and I think about that situation right there. There's something deep inside every human heart, a longing to get right with God. A longing to get close to God. And maybe if I wait in line long enough and I light a candle or I say the right prayers or I do the right things, maybe if I just run long enough and hard enough in the right direction, maybe just maybe he'll like me and he'll let me in. Maybe when I show up one day at the pearly gates, I could be like, I did my best. I'm pretty sure I was a pretty good guy. Uh, was it enough? And then Jesus comes down and he goes, hey, I fulfilled the whole thing for you. You don't have to run anymore. I, you're in. You don't have to, you literally don't have to kiss a rock, touch a wall, or light a candle, or say the right prayers. You're in by grace. You're in because of what I did. And when that hits you, when that lands on your heart, that changes everything. Friends, it's not by works. Will you end up producing fruit in your life if you believe this? Yes. Will you see change in your life? Yes. Do you need to build your house through your daily actions and choices on the rock and not the sand? Yes. Do you actually have to pick up your cross and follow Jesus? Yes. But you do all of that because of what he's done for you, not to try to get him to like you. That's the gospel. Every religion in, wor in the world says, get in line. 
and try really hard. And we're going we're gonna to write all the details out to make sure you don't break the rules. Jesus says, man, I tore the curtain of the temple into the holy of holies from top to bottom. And he says, come in, one and all, through my blood. That's the gospel. So, friends, we're going to take communion. We're going to remember what Jesus has done for us today. And maybe some of you, you've been on this race for a long time. Maybe not five days and 150 miles, but maybe your whole life. And you've been afraid that you can't do enough for God. You can't ever earn it. When you stand there that day before him, you're afraid of what he's going to say. And God wants to put you at peace right now. Because I know for sure what the Father is going to say about you on that day if right now, by faith, which means you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross, for your sins, for your anger, for your lust, for your pride, for your selfishness, you believe he did that for you. And that he rose three days later from the dead so that you could have new life and start a new journey with him I know what he's going to say about you. Well done. Come on in, son. Come on in, daughter. He's going to look at you through the lens of Christ, and that is the gospel. And friends, that's the starting point for the Sermon on the Mount. Amen? So if that's you today and you've never put your faith in Christ, I want to encourage you to fill out that I'm new card. I'm going to lead us in a prayer before we take communion, and I want you to pray this from your heart. It has to be your prayer from your heart to the Lord, but I want you to pray with me, and then I want you to fill out that I'm new card. We'd love to get you a Bible. We'd love to just give you some gifts to help you get started on your journey. But let's pray. Just say to him in your heart, Father, so many times I've fallen short. I didn't finish the race. I made the wrong decisions. I'm broken. And in your heart, say to Jesus, simply, I'm sorry. And right now, turn to him by faith and say, Jesus, I believe that you fulfilled it all for me by dying on the cross for my sins. In your heart, just say to him, thank you. I don't have to earn it. I have to work for it. It's a gift. The work's been done, now you receive the gift by faith. In your heart, say to him, I believe you conquered death and rose three days later so that I could be spiritually alive and walk a new life. Lord, for anyone that just prayed that prayer with me, I just ask that you would move on their hearts. I pray they'd have the courage to take a next step today. They'd fill out an I'm new card get connected in a group, get some tools to begin following the way of Jesus. For the rest of us, let's take this moment to take communion together. You're free to take communion now. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.